Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. The Power of Perseverance with Kathy Garver. You know her from A Family Affair and other places because she's amazing. So Kathy is taking time with us today to talk us with us about perseverance and also some more about her journey in her life and why even perseverance is important to her because it's a really big topic. So Kathy, welcome so much to the Someone Gets Me show and I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you very much, Diane. I'm glad finally somebody gets me and maybe some people out there will get me too. I'm sure a lot of people will get you. And one of the first questions I have for you is, have there been times in your life that people didn't get you, that you looked around and you're like, I'm the only one seeing what I'm seeing, or they just, people were just kind of missing the real you. Many times. And I even remember growing up, especially, and during that teen period and trying to figure out who I was in my junior high school, we had the special class for people that had IQs over 135. And if we were kind of brought together that way. But then we moved and I started junior high in another way. And it was still taking the, the classes that they call them gifted classes now, but they were just the, the higher classes. Those high school friends are still my very best friends today. But then I would go to some parties and, and feel like, where am I? And who am I? And why was I put on this earth? And what is even the earth? All the transcendental kinds of questions that a teenager asks. And I remember climbing up a tree, I must have been 14, 15, and just sitting sitting in the tree at a party, looking at, at the people and saying, hmm, well, this is very interesting, Do, and, and trying to communicate with them. But I communicated better with the tree. I, oh, my God. I did a similar thing at a big party where I just sat on a couch kind of off from everybody else, and I go, I don't know how to talk to these people. <laughs> And I was talking to the dog more and like I felt more comfortable in that way. I so totally get that. And I think a lot of people who have the visionary, more gifted way of seeing things have that experience when they're younger. So how did you get into the whole show business acting? Like what was that journey and how did it start? Well, I was living in Los Angeles and my mother put me into a singing and dancing class. Uh, Medlin Studios, and that was the same studio that had discovered Shirley Temple. And so, of course, she thought that I was going to be the next Shirley Temple and put my hair in, in ringlets, and I learned to sing and dance, and it really was fun. I, I enjoyed doing that a lot, but I didn't start, and that was when I was three. I didn't start working professionally until I was eight, and one of the first movies I did was The Night of the Hunter, with Charles Lawton was the director, first time he had ever directed. And there was Shelley Winters and Robert Mitchum and Lillian Gish and a fabulous array of stars and, and me at eight. And then the net, and it was, it was then not considered a, really a good movie. It did not get reviews. 
it was way above its time. And now it has been known as one of the top horror films that has ever been made. It's like hundredth on the list of best horror films. Cash, I think, is the name of the uh, paper that lists all that. And then I did the Ten Commandments. So I went yes. from horror to godliness in, <laughs> oh, what in a almost switch. the same year. Yeah. So, and that was really marvelous. And that was, of course, directed by the famous Cecil B. DeMille. This was not the silent version, but I was just hired as an extra. And I was part of the Exodus scene going out um, where we were going into the desert with Moses leading the slaves out. So I'm in this little rickety wagon and all of a sudden I heard this great big voice yell out, don't let that little girl's face get in the camera. And I said, is he talking to me? And I said, and where is he? Is that God? We are doing the Ten Commandments. Well, it wasn't God, but Cecil B. DeMille was on this great big crane. So he was way up in the sky yelling out. And so the assistant director came and he put a little blanket over my head. And I did the scene. Afterwards, he lifted me off the wagon and I talked to uh, the great C.B. DeMille. And uh, pretty soon he wrote scenes into me in, in the movie for me with Charlton Heston. So that was really kind of my, my breakthrough being um, all these lines with Charlton Heston in one of the biggest epics that had ever been made. Right. And then I just started working. Got an agent. My, that, was one of the, that was the first thing my agent got me. And then I guest starred on a, a lot of the TV shows that were on at the time. I had a semi-regular part in a uh, television show called Alice. And uh, mm-hmm. I worked all that time. And so how did your family handle this? I was the the last of four children. And my sister, who was super, super smart and graduated UCLA at 19, was already out of the house by the time I started working. And my two brothers were brothers and they were interested in playing football and, and doing other things. But very supportive. They have always been very supportive. And I have really been one of the lucky child stars. I wrote a book about child stars. This is my book, Ex-Child Stars, Where Are They Now? Mm-hmm. And this is available on Amazon and on my website, of course. And one of the biggest conclusions of why so many child stars did not make the transition from being a well-renowned personage and well-reviewed and famous and make that jump over to a successful adult was primarily, I, th- I think, for three reasons. One, the parents took all their money, and when they got mm-hmm. to be 18, they, they didn't have anything, and they were bitter and resentful, as they well should be. And two, because uh, they didn't have really an education or any other skill sets on which to maneuver and to move on. And three, because of the depression, because they weren't in the limelight anymore, and they, were from the, they went from the cute little kid to the awkward teenager and nobody was buying in Hollywood and, and they weren't getting jobs, they became depressed. And the emotionality um, just led them to drugs. And that is uh, very sad. I, I am so grateful that I never got on drugs. I just drink wine every night. <laughs> Chardonnay, cupcake Chardonnay. But it, it really was a serious uh, thing that happened to mm-hmm. the child stars. 
Yes, especially when they're not supported or things happen and they get a lot of resentment. And and visionaries and creatives are tend to be more emotionally sensitive anyway. And so when things happen that are big like that and there's no one around to help explain it or help them or show them what to do, that's really a tricky situation to be in, you know. So yes, how- my parents were very, very supportive. They, yeah. they saved everything that I made. And when we moved from Los Angeles to San Bernardino, we're kind of out of the limelight. It was a blessing in disguise because I was able to do that kind of awkward transition um, away from the limelight. So when I came back to L.A. and started UCLA, I was, you know, more developed and knew a lot more of my identity. So that was very helpful. And then my, my loving mother said, well, now you know this acting thing may not work out. You should have some insurance. What are you majoring in? <laughs> and what what did you major in? I majored in speech. That's why I talked a lot with a minor in psychology. And then I went back later to and got a master's in theater arts. But it was more of a liberal arts education for, you know, sociology and English, et cetera. Et cetera. Right, right. Oh, that's that's really, really fun. So tell us about the family affair. How was that show? What was that like for you? And my biggest question is, how are you the same and different than your character was? It was a great show. And (laughs) uh, when I went on the interview for that show, my uh, agent, Hazel McMillan, had called my mom and said, oh, we've got a great interview. They've already sold the pilot to this new show. It's going to go on. They have everything except for the teenage sister. They actually had um, cast her. But she went to Europe and I guess gained some weight and then came back. And anyway, she was not hired to go on. But they wanted this blonde, blue-eyed girl. Now, back then, I did not have blonde locks. I had dark hair and I have dark eyes. Well, there was nothing I could do about the eyes. But my mom brought this stuff called Streets and Tips Uh back in the 60s. I don't know if you've heard of that, Diane. And Mm -hmm. you just spray this stuff on and your hair turns like, gold <laughs> as what it turned mine to and like a helmet um it was so gold and brassy but i was sitting with it with the producer and he's looking what's wrong with your hair I said, my hair and he said yeah it's turning green well that started the conversation and we uh talked some more i did uh, a screen test and then the rest is history it was it was wonderful and my character and uh, Sissy's character is uh, really an amalgam. Uh, in my way of acting, I, I learned a lot from Brian Keith and, and Sebastian Cabot, each of whom approached acting in a totally different way. Sebastian was from England and he studied and he analyzed things. He got word for word. And it was hard for him to get word for word. So he practiced and got it perfect. Brian, on the other hand, would come in and say, well, what are we doing today? And he'd look over the script and he says, uh-huh, okay, okay. And he went from moment to moment. So it was a nice uh, combination of Brian and Sebastian. And what I did was take both of those styles. So I analyze the scene. I see what's happening. I figure out a character. And then when I'm actually shooting, I go moment to moment. But I'd already done everything like that. And there were some times when the writer would say, and I would say, this, look, everybody is wearing miniskirts. She is wearing this dress. It's just right above her knees. I want to wear miniskirts. And they said, well, I'm sorry, you can't. But I want to be in, you know, like today. They were right. 
however. And this show has really never gone off the air. And it is classic. And I think one of the reasons it's classic because the styles are not extreme. Nobody's wearing miniskirts and people are wearing, you know, something that you could walk out today. And since I'm a potential hoarder, I even have some of the things. Diane, you know you're old when you can wear your own vintage clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Uh, I still have some things in the uh, closet, but I don't wear them too often because it's going to be the 55th anniversary of Family Affair next year, odd since I'm 39. 55 years. So I have a question before we get to that, because I want to go to the anniversary part. But when I'm thinking about how you were mentored with the strict, rigid habit, like precise and precision, and uh, let me see what it is and stay in the moment. And what a perfect combination of like live and in-person mentoring, unofficially or officially, because you were there and they were showing you the way because that was their style. So how have you um, expanded on that over the years? Well, after the uh, television series, and mm-hmm. then I was saying, well, you know, I'm so well known as this particular character. Right. And it started because I had some friends from uh, Tel Aviv and from Israel. And Family Fair was like the number one show there. Well, they only have three channels, or it could have been two, but All everybody right. in the whole country watched this show. And so they did a musical adaptation of theater uh, for Family Affair. And they gave me uh, the this, this script. And so I learned uh, Hebrew phonetically for, for the show. And just seeing, and so we did this whole show in Hebrew, Hebrew musical. So I was over in Tel Aviv and I said, I really don't feel like going back to the States because I don't know how many jobs I'm getting. So I uh, went to England and I went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Mm. And so that also added to my pool of understanding of theater. And I learned a lot at the Royal Academy. Then when I came back, I was just in my 20s, early, early 20s. When I came back to the States, then I started doing a lot of dinner theaters. That was a big thing back then with dinner theaters in the 70s and starting up to the 80s. So I learned uh, a lot in in front of the audience doing doing a lot of dinner theaters. And um, so I added to my pool. And then when I stopped doing so many dinner theaters, I say in my other book, Surviving Sissy, I will hold it up for you. This is show and tell, Surviving Sissy. Um, I, I indicate how an actress life is, is very interesting. And I also, I taught voiceover for 20 years. So when you have like, you're not, you don't have a steady job and you're an independent contractor and one job finishes and say, well, am I ever going to get another job? So I would tell my students, you have to make your skill set as wide and wide as possible. So if you finish um, a stage presentation, you know, don't hold up your nose in the air and say, well, I don't do TV or I won't do film. I'm a stage actor. Well, you're going to just shoot yourself in the foot. And if you want to stay on that same level where, you know, Mm -hmm. theater actors don't make as much as commercial actors, I, I think it's very important to be able to go from one style to the next. And each of those styles has a different presentation. 
because the theater, you're very big. And it's just making whispering to a person. And then you're doing a commercial and so many of them are just so bright and light. And there's nothing wrong with doing narrations for industrials. I lived in San Francisco for a while and so many companies and they wanted hosts. So I went from doing stage and then um, I said, well, my agent called me. He says, well, we have this commercial for you. It's just your voice. It's a voiceover. I said, what's a voiceover? I've done a voiceover. I know what that is. And so he says, well, just go on, just go on. And I said, okay. So it turned out that this voiceover was for Tuna. And so and here, you know, here's your script. Oh, okay. I like Tuna. And they said, okay, now say it a different way. Okay. I like Tuna. Uh, okay. Say it a different way. Just, I like Tuna. And it was really awful. So I enrolled in a voiceover class right away. <laughs> and I learned how to do many, many different voices. And that became a whole career also for me. I've like starred in like five animated series, Firestar and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And they're actually bringing out a little, that's another thing for 2021. They're bringing out uh, a little six inch Firestar figure. She's a super heroine. And so I'm going to be uh, having those around and, and signing them. But, and maybe Firestar will have her own series from Marvel and we'll see how that goes. But I did a lot of voiceovers. So you're not doing, you're doing stage, it doesn't work. He says, well, you know, and voiceover now is so much easier because being sheltered as we are, wherever we go, I have my own little uh, microphone and, and set up where mm -hmm. I can do voiceovers. And then I just did a movie um, last month uh, and starred in a movie called Old Man Jackson, where I played Mrs. Jackson. And right before that, I did a pilot for a TV show that we are this close to, uh, to selling. So, I mean, in my estimation, you have to be able in, in the entertainment business right. to, to do a lot of things. If you're an actor, I think musicians have different, you know, a different road. Um, but I think for the general person who is an actor, you know, get all those things in front of you, even for voiceover. You don't just do animated cartoons. You, you do narration. I've done like 80 audio, audio books. I taught it. I've won four Audi Awards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ah, great. And, and, you know, and commercials. Right. And AER. So mm -hmm. all of those fall under the umbrella of voiceovers and all those things sustain you. It's great to, you know, be as creative as you want, but you still have to pay the mortgage and the insurance and, and buy food. Right. I always say all the time that visionaries and creative people still have bills to pay. Like we, you know, and our craft is very important and it takes effort and dedication and focus. But so, they don't call it the entertainment business for nothing. It is a business. And absolutely. I think that, you know, you have to learn how to do finance as well as letting yourself go in, in whatever creative endeavor you're doing painting or just mm -hmm. acting in the moment or whatever, you still, in my estimation, it's like taking Sebastian very straight and Brian living in the moment and, and putting that into a financial type of business, financial and creativity. Right. Taking care of all of the facets of it. That's why I like that they came together kind of at that perfect time of your life as these two 
seemingly opposite, but yet really creative, amazing people, but their style was different enough that what a great way for you to just see in real life, all different kinds of ways for you to, to develop your own way and see how their way worked for them in real life and action. It wasn't all just theory or somebody saying, well, do this, do that. You could see it. And I think that to me, that sounds like it was really amazing. You know, it was, you kind of look like Lillian Gish. Oh, thank you. Has anyone told you that? No. Really? But you, you look, your, your cheeks and everything. Uh-huh. As I say, she was a Knight of the Hunter. Wonderful, right. fabulous actor. Wow. Cool. Annabelle Gish, yeah. Right. When my hair was shorter, people used to tell me I looked like Sally Fields. And, ah. uh, uh, but now that it's longer, nobody, people haven't said that. People um, tell me I look like Sally Field. I actually did a game show recently, uh, and I was a Dolly, pers- Dolly Parton. I pretended I was a Dolly Parton uh, sister. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I could just see you doing it. You're, it's like you're a multi-potentialite. You know, you can do all of these different things and you write books and <laughs> you um, you have cookbooks out and you do all these other things. And so it that's the true way of vision, get visionary, gifted type of people. There's all different kinds of facets and you think, you know, one part of them, but you're delighted that there's all of these other parts coming to this table, even if you don't see it right away. And so let's talk about perseverance because you talk about that and you've had to have perseverance in lots of different ways all through your career. So what would, what would you say if somebody was listening to you right now and maybe they're struggling with keeping on, keeping on, or, you know, they're that perseverance energy in them is kind of a little low and they, they need to kind of, get going. What is something that you could say to them or some advice you might want to share with them just to help them keep going? It's just that eventually it will come. And sometimes you, you're working and working and working and all of a sudden it's not doing it, but the answer is always ahead of you. So mm-hmm. you go away for a minute and you come back and say, well, there it is all the time. I should have thought that before. Give yourself the, the time to persevere, to reach your goal. And even if you're starting to say, I'm never going to get here, you will eventually. And even if it isn't exactly the thing that you want, there's something bigger that knows what is exactly right for you. And it may formulate itself in something else, but it's it's right there. And that that happens. That happens a lot. And uh and it happens in so many ways. Even when I got married, I wanted to get married. I wanted to get married. Why aren't I married? And, you know, time is moving. I was 30. I was 31. I was 33. I said, look at all these people are married. Why aren't I? So I went to Palm Springs. And so you have to put it in your head what you want. And you have to put out that energy and that positive energy, do away with any of the negativity and say, okay, I'm just putting that positive energy. So I said, the next person I meet, I'm going to marry. So I was in Palm Springs, and <laughs> my my friend, Arlene Galanka, she was uh, on Mayberry RFD. She did some things, and she was at a music industry tennis tournament. And so she said, oh, you're going to be in Palm Springs? Me too. She says, um, I'm going to uh, play some tennis. We need a fourth. You come along. I said, okay. So I met her there. And she and, and her boyfriend, and I'm waiting for my partner. And I said, okay, the next person I meet, I am going to marry. 
So in comes a six foot three guy galomping on, you know, we've already discussed we're five feet. Right. <laughs> Here comes right. the six foot three guy and we start playing tennis. And then he, in a profitatorial kinds of way, says, finally, a woman that can play tennis. I said, I'm going to get married. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> that may have been off the top of his head, but that was really in the bottom of my head. And so we got married three years later, and we are celebrating our 40th anniversary next oh, year. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. So when you met him, did you really know he was the one you were going to marry beyond just visioning it and having the energy out there? No. no. I mean, I have, I have met other people. I look and I say, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is like a soulmate. And I don't know if, if David is my soulmate, but he is the person I was supposed to marry, I think. I, I know. And uh, he's a really lovely person, very, very nice and, and, and cute and puts up with me. And so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there are different relationships along the way. Oh, sure. Is he a visionary like you? Um, no, he's not. <laughs> he is not. My son, now, again, now, I didn't get married till I'm 35. So at 40, I'm going tick, tick, tick. I would like to uh, have a child here. He already had a son. And so, yeah, no, you don't need it. I said, yes, I want a, a baby. I want my son. So at 45, I had this, this wonderful child. And he is, is very much like me. And he's very sensitive. And he is a visionary. And he, you know, he is the best cook. He can see an empty space. And, and just totally see what, what should go there. And he, and he is here. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. That's so cool. And so visionaries, I think there's a special place in the whole world for all that ability to see and bring forward and create and, and, and elevate the energy to inspire. You know, like I think that that high energy inspires people. So tell us a little bit about this 55th anniversary reunion of Family Affair and some of the things that you were telling me before we started recording about so that everybody can be excited in your words, because I'm thrilled for it. And I think it's a great way to really honor, you know, time tested, beautiful. I mean, that show is is amazing. And all the work all of you all did in that show is amazing. And you can tell it's amazing because 55 years later, people are still celebrating it. It is amazing. It really has not been off the air since 1966 mm -hmm. when it debuted. And uh, as you say, it's a 55th anniversary and we have a lot of things planned for it. Mm -hmm. I, my surviving sissy book that I, I did about five years ago, they're bringing it out in paperback. So that will be the debut of its paperback version. And to also um, herald that, there is a wonderful museum, the Hollywood Museum, right on Highland in Hollywood. And hopefully it will be open by uh, April and May and no more lockdown uh, and no more sheltering and people can actually go out. Um, right. And so it will we'll, uh, have a whole exhibit of all the things that were in Family Affair. This was right during the years where they first started merchandising. And they really hadn't done so much of that beforehand. But 20th Century Fox was doing that. CBS put their hands in. So I have 
like lunch boxes and their coloring books and their view masters and there's wonderful photos. And so we'll have an exhibit at the Hollywood Museum and I'll be signing uh, my book. And then maybe later on you on your Friday features, <laughs> you can let um, your audience know exactly when it's coming. And so we're doing lots of that. We have a um, new show called Aunt Sissy that is a spinoff from Family Affair. It's not a sequel, but it's a spinoff. And what my character would be doing now, Aunt Sissy becomes Aunt Sissy, kind of like Uncle Bill. So that will also be debuting in 2021, as well as a new book that I have. I wrote this book, Holiday Recipes for a Family Affair with Scott Weaver, who uh, is also a director as well as a writer. But we are doing a sh- uh, this book to go along with a TV show that we are doing. Used to be called TV Dinners, but we're glad that we're not naming our show TV Dinners anymore because the trademark is a little dicey. So it will be retro celebrity eating great. And so we will have the television show that goes along with it where the, the pilot Featured Butch Patrick from the Munsters and oh. Barry Thomas from the No Super You, the Nazi, and uh, Lisa Loring. And we take the, the old Kiwi dinners and we redo them, refresh them, make them healthy for today. And then we have a sit down with our, our celebs uh, saying, where are you now and what are you doing? Oh, that's great. So the recipes in the book are the modern day healthy version of the old school TV dinners. Exactly. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That, that, I was about to ask you what they were, and then you said it. I'm like, oh, let me get this right. I love that idea. That is going to be so fun. And I love that, the, the multidimensional nature from the beginning of your career all of through all of the different changes, and then also through this whole lockdown and everything that you, you have been able to persevere, but also to bring all of your talents to the table. And, and allow yourself the freedom to not just like only silo yourself into one spot. So, And it's important, you know, because I think of it as I, I get older every day that we are given so many talents and no matter what, at one talent or a lot of talents or whatever that talent is. And I don't want to leave this particular without getting all those talents out with being fulfilled and being blessed with those talents and then using them all up. I want to use them all up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Use them all. Let them all out. Let them all go. You know, and I love that. And I, I think that that speaks to your whole ability to persevere and keep going. And it's a natural thing that you would talk about perseverance because it's taken that it's not all easy. It's, you know, it sounds easy to sit here and talk about, but it's hard work and it's dedication and it's focus and it's doing the hard things and the things you don't want to do in order to create the magical, amazing things that are just so fulfilling. So Yeah, because you really I mean in writing a book you have to, oh, this has got to be in at the, you know, at the publishers mm-hmm. or or you say, I'm never going to learn those lines, you know, and now I'm going to have to go through traffic to try and get to an interview. I mean, all of that stuff has to be given before you can totally enjoy it. But now I'm getting to be again older and say, I say, well, even this is joyful being on the horrible freeways of of um, LA and listening to something nice and nice music. 
So oh. make the best of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Say so. Make the best of it, everybody, no matter what it is. And let all your talents hang out and shine because things happen over a lifetime that are amazing. And we just keep building and building and building and building. So is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you had on your heart that you wanted to share with everybody today? Because I know we've covered a lot and there's so much more we could talk for hours and hours and hours. But uh, was there anything on your heart that you really felt that led to say or wanted to talk about that I didn't ask about? I'm just thinking that I think everybody should be proud of themselves and who they are in whatever circumstances that they are in and to be joyful every day and to make the most of, of who you are. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So your final question of the interview is, if there was going to be a billboard out in the whole world that everyone was going to see that would have your name on it, what would that slogan, what would that statement be? I love my family. Hmm, I love my family. Yes, that's beautiful. I love that. So everybody, you've been listening to Kathy Garver. She's amazing, right? All of her contact information and ways to buy her books and everything are in the show notes for you. And we could talk for hours on end, but we're not going to. <laughs> so there, if you want to follow her and you want to learn more about her, then go do that because you're going to find a dynamic, amazing, multi-potential powerhouse of a woman who has persevered through life and all kinds of amazing things to create goodness for all of us. And thank you for all the work that you've done and all the entertainment that you have provided and the laughs and the goodness that you've brought to the world through all your talents. Thank you so much on behalf of all of us. Thank you, Diane. I know we're going to remain friends far after this. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm sure. Okay, everybody. So make sure you follow Kathy and let her know you heard her here on Someone Gets Me. And remember to keep your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and use all of your skills. Let them all hang out. And until the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.